thankful to the Lord. It seems like it's been six months since I've been here. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, I'm thankful to the Lord to be here and uh, to be with you and been excited about the prospect of coming and being uh, with you again. We trust the Lord has uh, granted you his grace and given you the gospel since, since I was here before. And uh, we're thankful that uh, we have the gospel. Uh, amen. Uh, what a wonderful message that the uh, gospel is. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has unselfishly given his life to save us from hell, deliver us into heaven's pure world. And it's a place that I grant, I grant you, I'm like the, the brother was praying, I look forward to be in that place uh, that we have through his promise and through his sacrifice. And I hope and trust that we all are. Uh, one announcement: we got a new, we have a newcomer to the congregation. Now, that, don't we? What's the name? I didn't catch the name. Honora. Honora Shannon. What a time of rejoicing! And she's pretty too. I saw a picture of her. She's gorgeous. So we're glad that other announcements that we have to make. Brother Russell, you know anything? That the congregation general. All right. Please pray for me that the Lord will uh, allow me to have uh, the liberty that I need to be able to preach the gospel this morning. You do know the gospel is not always a guarantee. It, it, it takes an element that I don't have in order for it to be the gospel. It can be proclamation of the word, but to make it the gospel, God has to add something that I don't have to take it from that level to this level, the spiritual level that I don't have. And I, I need that help this morning. Would you please pray that the Lord will bless us together so we'll all rejoice together. Uh, Brother uh, Jody Weil uh, comes in. I, I think I understand he has come and preached. And he, his dad, as you some of you know, is an electrician. I always think of him when I think about how the gospel works. Now, I don't know, it's hard to imagine if you know him. Why would that make you think of the gospel? Well, he's an electrician, and he talks. He he deals with circuits, and you know the gospel is somewhat like that. It takes the power of the Spirit of God to bless the man who has applied, tried to apply himself to the Word to be able to preach. And then when he uh, when he preaches the Word, and you've applied yourself in prayer, and he preaches the Word to you then your hearts are made to rise up in praise to glory back to heaven and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and it completes the circuit. I don't know why I thought of that, but that's just awesome, the way that God does. And he receives the glory. And if he don't receive the glory, it's not the gospel. And so we're thankful that we do have the truth of the gospel, grace, and hope and trust that the Lord will bless this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Merciful and kind and ever to be adored, Heavenly Father, we come before thee this morning with thanksgiving for all the many blessings that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the unselfish and wonderful sacrifice that he made for us in giving his life, Lord, that we might 
be finally with thee in that eternal world that we call heaven. And truly, Lord, this morning, thou art worthy of our praise, and thou art worthy of our worship, and we worship thee, and we praise thee, and we so much love thee in our hearts for the kindness that you've shown us as your people. We're thankful for this assembly this morning. We pray for thy Holy Spirit to be in, in each of us as we enter to this part of the service. May, may thy word glorify thee, O Lord, in this world to the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ and, Lord, to the edification of the body of Christ so that we may give thee more glory. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'd like to turn uh, this morning, I've been dealing a lot with the, uh, the New Testament over the past two years, and uh, I actually made a rush trip through the Gospel of John. It, shouldn't have, it should have taken me about 10 years to go through it, really, to go through John because it's so, uh, it's so full of rich uh, truths that are in there that you can't possibly preach through the gospel of John in, in two years and get everything that you need. That's one of the blessings of the word of God is the inexhaustibility of the blessings that you receive from it and the knowledge that God has afforded us in his word. But as I finish that up, I feel like I, I've been dealing, a, spending a little time in the, uh, in the Old Testament and I've been uh, praying uh, about the direction that the Lord would lead this morning. And uh, about three o'clock this morning, uh, when I got up, that's how that's a preacher's life, folks. Uh, about three o'clock this morning, uh, this presented itself to me, and it's firm in my mind this morning. And I hope you'll pray that uh, the Lord will bless this to his glory and to your edification. Psalm 61 this morning. Psalm 61, referring to a psalm of David. Before we read, we know something of the life of David, I'm sure. You've read about, you've read in Samuel and in Kings and Chronicles about David and then sprinkled through the Old Testament including the New Testament we know some things about David we know that our Savior is referred to as the son of David uh, that David was the line of kingship that was established back in the last chapter of Genesis the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come and that uh, Shiloh would come through the lineage of Judah was obvious in that verse and indeed the Lord Jesus Christ did come through the tribe of Judah, naturally speaking, uh, understanding that our Savior Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Amen? Amen. He is God manifested in the flesh, but his natural line did come as prophesied through the line of Judah. So he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was one after God's own heart, and if you set aside the mistakes that David made, we spoke of the mistakes of Abraham earlier in the earlier service, but if you set aside the mistakes that David made, and he made a few of those in his life, some really serious mistakes, 
some kind of in between, maybe some not, maybe quite so bad, but nevertheless, he's a human being, and, uh, uh, you know, Adam is his father just like he's ours, and so therefore he was a sinner and did make mistakes. But David was one after God's own heart. He was a child of God who was reflective of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ so much of the time, and his Psalms are one of the most uh, uh, comforting books in the Bible. And uh, it speaks truth about David, talks about some of his mistakes that he made. Psalm 51, Psalm of Repentance because of his, uh, his adultery with Bathsheba. And then, but, but David in all of his ups and downs, you see in the Psalms his dependence upon God for his help. They had a lot of troubles back then. A lot of trials, a lot of dwelling in a place surrounded by people who are unfriendly to Israel. And David surrounded sometimes by his own children unfriendly to him. His heart being broken over that sad time in his life, had to depend upon God for help. And God helped David physically. He literally helped him physically. He was, he was the man of battle that helped David in the great victories that he won as, a, as the leader of the army of Israel. There are a lot of battles that are not physical battles that you and I face and that David faced as he lived. We struggle in this life. Now, I wish it wasn't so, I guess, but we do struggle in this life. We struggle with infirmities. We struggle with disappointments, depressions, discouragements, physical afflictions. We struggle with a lot of different things. And David, in his Psalms, has sprinkled through the book many helps for the child of God as we face those difficulties. As a minister trying to struggle knowing God's will, I find comfort in Psalms in looking at a man who looked for God's will. And we know he didn't always, we know he made mistakes. But the predominance of his life was a dependence upon his God, on his God, this man after God's own heart. So he writes in this psalm, and I hope this will be a blessing to you this morning. If we do nothing more than read it, I hope that it's a blessing to you. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth, Will I cry unto thee? When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Read verse 2 again. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me. And a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide 
in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. And when he says Selah, that means meditate. Think about what I've just said. For thou, O God, has heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may be, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. That's a man who is looking to God for help, for shelter, for a covert, for blessings that he knows has to come from the great God of heaven. Now notice it says in the very beginning, hear my cry. When it says cry, <clears throat> this is not just making a loud noise. There is a, a sense in which David uses this term that is a, a, a sincere lifting up of the voice. A voice looking to someone greater than you are for help. Recognizing your insufficiency and God's all sufficiency. So when it says Christ, not just making a noise, not just crying out, uh, you know, in, uh, in vain. This is a, this is a cry with expectation of receiving answer. Notice the cry. I'm thinking about the baby now. I can't help it. <clears throat> when the baby, when they cry out, they don't know what they need sometimes. I mean, they don't know what they're wanting. They don't know what's hurting them. They don't know what's causing the pain that they have. And so they cry out. Don't even know maybe uh, uh, who they're crying out to uh, yet. But they're crying out to someone to help them. Because they need help. And I liken him under a, a child of God. And sometimes we don't know what we need. Sometimes we are in a situation that we don't know what our needs are. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to repair it. We don't know how to counsel it. We don't know how to take care of it in any way. And when we, this is the way it usually is, when we reach the end of our way and recognize I can't do anything after we've tried everything to fix our problem, we cry out, finally, to the one who can fix it, the Lord God of heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So he says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. That is no matter where I am, no matter how far that I might think I am from thee, no matter what situation that I might find myself, I'm going to look to one who can help me. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Now, I could define overwhelmed this morning, but I've got a clue this morning that you, some of you who I'm talking to, 
have been overwhelmed before. That you have been overtaken either by sin or overtaken with a problem of discouragement, of danger, of something in your life that is something you can't fix and you are overwhelmed. The idea behind the definition of overwhelm is like a flood. <clears throat> Sometimes we feel like we're flooded with difficulty. Maybe I'm not talking to people who uh, have had the same walk that I have, but I'll bet you money, and I'm not a betting man, that there are people here who have been overwhelmed with difficulties and struggles in this life that they can't fix themselves. And they feel like it comes in a flood. That they're overwhelmed because of it. David says, he says, <clears throat> uh, when my heart is overwhelmed. Now, that's uh, be, being overwhelmed in mind is one thing. But when our heart is overwhelmed and we're struggling with a problem of the heart, it's even worse. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, that's not capitalized, and it doesn't need to be. There's only one rock that fits this description. <clears throat> Peter, his name was Petra, was a stone, but he was like us. Peter was one that made mistakes like we do. Peter was one that says, thou will never wash my feet. Said that to Jesus, by the way. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. <clears throat> oh, okay. <laughs> wash me all over then, right? Peter was the one in the Acts of the Apostles that when the Jews were around, Peter would sidestep the congregation. And, 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 and when Gentiles were around him, he would avoid the Gentiles because he didn't want the Jews to accuse him of fraternizing with Gentiles. Paul in Galatians confronted Peter because of this hypocrisy. And so Peter was, even though his name was rock, his name was stone, he was not really any higher than you are. And that I am. This is one of the reasons why I know, and I'm going to go there, Lord willing, in a little bit. Matthew 16 is not talking about Peter. It's talking about the rock, our Lord Jesus Christ. But we'll get there, Lord willing, in just a minute. But here he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, there's only one rock that's higher than I, us. It's not the rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> no, sir. It's not the, it's not the, uh, uh, pillar in your household. You know, households have figureheads, you know, they have the patriarch or the matriarch in their household and they're just, and we sometimes speak of them as, boy, they're, they're really the rock of the family. They're really the, you know, the stability of the family. But even people that are like that and have that important position in families, are not good enough for what David's talking about. Because they're no, in reality, no higher than we are. But there is one rock that is higher than us, and it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll take an amen on that one. Amen? So 
Go with me, please, real quickly uh, in regard to that, to the book of Deuteronomy, please. I think you, we, you probably will recognize the text we're going to in Deuteronomy chapter 32. <clears throat> Moses writes and he says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish thy name, O Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Now here we find a description, clearly description, of the gospel, of the presentation of the word of God. Notice how he says it. He says, my doctrine, my teaching of the word of God shall drop as the rain. Now we've been getting some rain in, in uh, San Antonio. I don't know about you up here, but we've been getting some rain. And after that long drought and 105, 107 degree weather, how refreshing that it is when we finally get that rain. And that poor grass in my front yard is all withered. And you look at it and it almost looks like it's dead. And then when the rain comes, Gail's got to mow the yard again. <laughs> I just told on myself, didn't I? <laughs> she has mercy on me. But anyway, anyway, you get the idea is that the grass that's there has life in it or it wouldn't come back. But it looks pretty withered. It looks pretty bad. And when the rain comes, if there's life there, it will refresh. It will enliven. It will bring forth plushness, if you will. I don't know if that's a word or not. I, maybe I just made that up. But it will, it will bring forth and make it appear to have life, you understand. So he says, my doctrine shall drop as the rain. And uh, one of the great benefits, I hope I don't get too sidetracked here, but one of the great benefits of the gospel and why we should be coming every Sunday to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you don't have to amen me right now, deacon, and, but why we should be coming is for us to have a refreshing from the doctrine that shall drop as rain from heaven's pure world for God's children. Because the child of God that lives in a world that's so unfriendly, that lives in a world that's so full of sin, and that we have to live so close to in this world, we, dear friends, need refreshing that comes from Him. And one of the greatest things is the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enlivens us, it refreshes us, and it strengthens us so we can continue a little farther on in this life. Amen? Amen. I like that part of it. And it shall distill. We kind of know what distill is. It kind of cleans. The gospel has a cleansing effect to it. It cleanses us by referring to the word of God and telling us about the word of God and tells us what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. And in that sense, it cleanses our lives, you understand, to live closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And, and he says, as small rain upon the tender herb and as showers upon the grass. Because I will publish 
the name of the Lord ascribe greatness unto our God. Now listen. He doesn't leave any kind of speculation of what ought to be proclaimed. There's no room for glory in God's house but for God. Right? It's not a combination of God and man in salvation. It's not a combination of God and the church in salvation. It's God. Period. Deserves glory for salvation. Because he went to the cross. He died for our sins. He, my friends, suffered the ignominious death of the cross. And then the wrath of Almighty God for us. And he deserves glory. So when he writes here, ascribe greatness to our God, he got it right. And our preaching ought to ascribe greatness only to God. This is the place where God should be honored, not man. That's, this is now, the next verse is really where I was going. I cheated just a little bit and preached on that. Is that okay? Notice the next verse. He, this is capitalized by the way. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Did I, did I articulate that good enough for you? He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. That word means right judgment. A God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. Just in case we're wondering, sprinkled through the Bible, who the rock is. And sometimes he's referred to as a stone. We'll get to that one in just a minute. <clears throat> but but just, just so you'll, you'll get the instance of first usage from the Bible, which is a biblical principle, by the way. <clears throat> the rock he's speaking of right here. Is God. He is the rock. And the reason why he is the rock. Is his work. Is perfect. I assure you. That the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was perfect. The work. Of the cross. Was perfect. The work of the resurrection. Was perfect. The presentation of his glorious body in the presence of God at ascension was perfect. And I can give you assurance this morning through the gospel that heaven is your home because his work is perfect. We know our work isn't perfect. Come on, right? I see a few heads going up and down. We know our work's perfect. Not perfect, but we know his is and was and still is perfect, right? I like that, don't you? So he's spoken of as the rock in Deuteronomy. Now, let's go to the book of Daniel for a moment. Daniel chapter 2. Very familiar passage of scripture to Bible students, especially students of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Daniel one of the prisoners in the Babylonian captivity. One that 
worship God unashamedly. Depended upon God. Got thrown in a, not a lion's den, but a den of lions. Right? Because he wouldn't turn from his God and wouldn't compromise the worship of the true and living God. I call upon you and me, myself, that we never compromise in our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ and we not ashamed. Be thou therefore not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But don't be ashamed of it, friends. Stand for it and God will stand with you. Amen? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has a, has a prayer. He has a dream, right? He don't know what the dream is. Now, he's given his magicians the task of telling him what the dream means. Well, they said, okay, you tell us, King, what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. He said, no. I can't remember what the dream, and I didn't say it. He says it between the lines. I can't remember what the dream is, so you tell me what the dream is, and you tell me the interpretation. Right? So they can't do it, of course. And one of them said, I know a man of the captivity that is a revealer of the secrets of God, and they go get Daniel and bring him up there. You know why, you know why Daniel knows? Daniel is a prophet, and Daniel walked with God. And so Daniel goes up, and he tells him what the dream is, and then he interprets it, interprets the dream. I just, I love this story. I wish I had more time to deal with it. But I want to read you the last part of it. He said, verse 31, that was the second chapter. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form of them of, of there was terrible. The, this image's head was of gold and breast and his arms were silver and his belly and his thighs were brass his legs were part iron his feet part iron and part clay and thou sawest till a stone was cut out of without hands and smote the image at his feet and that they were and and, uh, and that were of iron and clay and break them in pieces and then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing hole. Well, okay. So he gives the, he gives the description of it. <clears throat> he says that these elements, and we know this, the, the Babylonian empires, the gold and, you know, the, the silver and the brass, you know, the, the uh, uh, Persian Empire uh, and the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek and then the Roman Empire, etc. We know how the descendancy of the, the of the beast that he saw, or the uh, image that he saw. And then when he described this, and he says, "These are all kings. You're the head of gold, etc., 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 down to what we know as the Roman Empire." Verse forty-four. And in the days of these kings. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed? Aren't you glad? 
He said in Luke, my father appointed unto me a kingdom, even so appoint I unto you a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table. In the days of these kings, that in the days particularly of the Roman Empire, shall the Lord of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Don't you think they won't try, but they'll never be successful because the Lord set up this kingdom which we dwell in this morning. Then it says, the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that stone, okay, was cut out of, by the way, you know it's talking about the same thing as rock because it's the word stone is used is used when when it has accomplishing some task. So he uses the word stone. So he's accomplishing a task here. For as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. How could Daniel know that? That the Lord Jesus Christ would come into this world without hands. That a Jewish virgin would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and be with child without the efforts of man, how could Daniel know this? Because he worships God who knew this. And this was going to happen in the days of these kings. This stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron and the brass and the clay and the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Imagine this little guy of the captivity telling King Nebuchadnezzar, that's what it means. I don't care what you think about it. The interpretation sure. This is what it's going to be. And it's coming in the latter days, in the latter kingdom, one who's going to set up a kingdom that's better than all these. This is one thing, this is one reason why you and me should never get enamored with the world. The world has a lot they say to offer. The world has a lot of frivolities to tempt you with. But God's kingdom that he has set up. God's kingdom that he's blessed us with is better than anything that man can conceive, that man can accomplish. God's kingdom, my dear friends, is forever and it's a place of fellowship with God and with one another and it lasts forever. That's pretty good, don't you, th don't you think? This rock set up his church in this world. Isn't that glorious? Now, let's go to, for the sake of time, let's go to the uh, book of Matthew. And then we'll go back and try to finish up over in our psalm once again. Matthew chapter 16.
are you kind of getting an idea of why David said, lead me to the rock? <laughs> the rock can accomplish things we can't accomplish. The rock can do things we can't conceive of. The rock is amazing. Amen? He is the rock. His work is perfect. That's who we want to follow. I know it's please. By the way, one, one, one more thing before I pass on to Matthew. Since the rock is higher than I, and it says that, right? Since the rock is higher than I, we know two things about it. <clears throat> this rock, and according to the descriptions we've seen in the Old Testament, he's stable, isn't he? A rock, we get the sense of stability. But since the rock is higher than I, if we're on the rock, then our vantage point is going to be better. People ask me all the time, where, you know, where should I, I'm going to move to, uh, uh, I'm going to move to, new to this or that place, and I'm going to say, well, is there a good, viable, grace-based church you can go to in that area? Well, no. Well, they said, well, there's your answer. The Lord's church is a place where the Lord's people are fed. It gives, if we stand on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a vantage point to see the direction that we need to go in life. If we're not standing on him, if we're in the valley, it's hard to see the direction that we need to pass in this life. So if, but if we're standing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about living for him. I'm talking about studying about him. I'm talking about learning about him. I'm talking about, about adhering ourselves to the proclamation of his word and what he's done for us and your, your soul dependence upon him for everything that you have in this world. I'm talking about that. That's standing upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we stand upon the rock, there's a vantage point that we have that we would not have otherwise. We can see what direction to go. So I need to, I need to decide where to go to school. Stand on the rock. I need to decide who I need to bury. Stand on the rock. And you got vantage point. I need to decide this or that or the other. Standing upon the rock, it gives us a vision ahead of which way we need to go. It might sound over simplistic, but I tell you, it's blessed my life. Now, where was I going? Matthew 16, right? Matthew 16. Came to Caesarea Philippi, asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, that's opening the can of worms, right? Who do men say that some say thou art John the Baptist, some say you're this prophet, some say you're this, that, or the other. And boy, in the society that we live in, you get a lot of different ideas of who Jesus was. Well, he was a good man. Oh, he was a good prophet. He was a nice person. And I'll tell you what, he was more than just a nice person. He was more than just a good prophet. He was more than just a good man. He is God manifested 
in the flesh and saved our poor souls from hell. Who do men say that I am? Well, they said this. They said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Which is the most crucial question. Who do you this morning say that he is? That's crucial. We need to have the right idea about who he is. Now, Peter didn't always get it right. I want you to understand, right? Thou will never wash my feet, you know, right? What's, what's this disciple going to do? What is it to you if he dwells till I come again, you know, at the end of John? He, had, he got things wrong a lot, didn't he? Even denied the Lord thrice, didn't he? But when he gets it right, he gets it right, right? He says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter speaks right up, which he often did. He did. He'd speak out. Now, sometimes he had the foot and mouth disease. He put his foot in his mouth, like I mentioned. This time he gets it right. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter speaks up. And he answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't you love it? He nailed it, didn't he? He didn't say you were a Christ, or we think you're Christ, or you might be the Christ. At this moment, his faith is strong. At this moment, he's got a grip on it. And he's ready to answer. Thou art the Christ, the anointed, the Son of the living God. And notice Jesus answered. Blessed are thou Simon Bar-Jonah. Or son of Jonah. For flesh and blood. Hath not revealed it. Unto thee. You can say what you want to folks. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you that are sitting here this morning. Cannot be attributed. To me or any other preacher. That seed of faith that is imparted to us in regeneration only comes from God. That's why he said it. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The fact that you can even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning is a miracle. But isn't it a wonderful one? I glory in him. I love him. Don't you? What he suffered for me, I don't deserve, but I love him for it. I want to praise him for it, don't you? He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, there are three different interpretations of this. One is that Peter is the rock and the church built on him. Based on what you know about Peter, what do you think about that one? Okay? Just in this discourse. And I, we're not, you know, Peter was a, a mighty spokesman for the church. He is the one blessed with one of the keys to open 
the door of the gospel in Jerusalem on Pentecost. He's a mighty man of God. So I don't mean to disparage, but just to let you know, he was a person like we are with apostolic authority and power. He says, I say to thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the fact that the context says this. Uh, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the solid rock on which the church has been built. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock. Amen? Where do we find the rock mentioned in the text that I've just given you? Who's it referred to? God. Now why would he also all of a sudden take it and give it to a man? He wouldn't. Because he's not. You are Peter. You are Petra. You are a stone. But upon this rock I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now. How many have ever heard this view from the pulpit. <clears throat> the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I heard this in my youth. The church is just a little body of folks, you know, and we're kind of, and, and they kind of give you the idea we're all coward in this world and the devil is trying to get in <clears throat> and he's trying to assault us and try to cause us problems but he'll never be able to get us. How many of you ever heard that? The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Guess what, folks? In case we wondered, the devil has been in the church at times and caused problems in the church in times, caused problems that have divided church at times, caused problems that have destroyed church churches at times. That's not what he's saying. Look at the verbiage that he uses. And Jesus is specific about what he's saying. He says, Upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ and the revelation of him, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the church. Okay, I'm going to throw you a curveball. That's as straight as the word of God, folks. The church in the world is not supposed to be defensive, cowering in a corner, waiting for the devil to attack, but the church is offensive. The gates indicate a stronghold of Satan. He says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our posture in the world, and how we used to refer to it in the uh, theological terms with the ministers that I've studied with, the militant church, the militant church, the, the military aspect of the church, 
is that the church is on the move. Why do you think the Apostle Paul uses those terms in his epistles? Why do you think he talks about the whole armor of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? He uses those terms because the church should be on the move. The church should be spreading. The church, this is evangelism, my friends. He's telling the, he's, and when we assault the gates of hell, they won't prevail against the church when we're on the move. Because you know why? The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church and he is the general in charge. Don't you love it? Now, back to our text and we'll close in the book of now I flung that one on you for just kind of a I'm kind of curious right now I don't want to I don't want to wait till after the service how many of you ever heard that twist on that text and it's not a twist that's what the text says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it the gates of hell friends have gotten God's children bound and the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ can loose the captives. It says so in the word of God. Release the captives. Bless us to loose those that are bound. And in the lives of God's children that are in all kinds of difficulties, the church of Jesus Christ is not the problem. The church of Jesus Christ is the solution. It is the help. It's what we need to free us from the burdens and the struggles and the binding of Satan in this world that takes us sometimes prisoners at his will. So we rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and his church and be blessed in this world. He won't relieve you from all struggles that you'll have in the world, but I'll tell you, he'll help you through the struggles. He indeed, as the Songs of Solomon says in chapter 2, He's the lily of the valleys. We go through many valleys, but he's always the lily that's visible, that's there in those valleys. Psalm 61 again, we'll close. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. Now based on what you've heard, listen to what he says. From the end of of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed has your heart ever been overwhelmed lead me to the rock that is higher than I the struggle's too big I'm overwhelmed I'm flooded Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So upon him I can see my way clear in this life. May God bless us to lean upon him. To stand upon him. To look to him. If he's able to save all of his people from the morning of time to the end of time on the cross. He's able to deliver you now from your ever-present difficulties in this world. Rely upon him, and I guarantee you, folks, you will not go wrong. 
in serving a God of such love and power as our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for your attention this morning.